Hey, thanks for coming to the park this morning. Really appreciate it. It's good to see everybody. So, um, so my name is Aaron. Like Becky said, I'm one of the pastors here at River City. So, um, so starting next Sunday, Brandon, who was one of the other pastors, he's going to be uh, preaching through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. So, but, so this week we're going to be having a standalone sermon um, from me just based on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which you can look up in your own Bible if you brought that, or you can look it up in the worship bulletin, which is up there on the table up there. So anyway, so, uh, so I'm going to be preaching this passage through the lens of uh, two things. That's being changed by the gospel and small groups, being changed by the gospel and small groups. So that's the big idea this morning, being changed by the gospel in small groups. So one of the primary things that I get to do here at River City is lead and oversee our small groups. So I'm passionate about small groups. I believe in small groups. And here at River City, small groups are the primary way that we do life and ministry and community and mission and discipleship. And it's, that's not the only way that we do those things. Small groups aren't the only way that we do those things, but it is the primary way. So some of you may have attended churches in the past where small groups were one of the options on the smorgasbord of options to get connected and involved. But here at River City, small groups are by far the primary way of getting connected and involved. So small groups really are that important to how we understand life and mission and discipleship. And so this morning, I'm going to be walking through that passage that I just talked about. Um, just in light of some, and highlighting some principles of how it relates to being changed by the gospel and small groups um, here at River City. And then I'm just going to wrap it up with some encouragements and challenges for us. Um, And that'll just lead us into taking communion. So anyway, all right, let's pray. So God, um, just like what Becky was talking to you about, thank you so much for being you. Thanks for the gospel. Thanks that um, you supernaturally change us. Thank you for just everything of who you are. And I pray that you'll just speak to me through your word. And I pray that your spirit will just apply it well um, to all of us, including me. And thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, thanks for doing the heavy lifting. And we love you. Amen. All right, so we're in Acts tw- chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So, so long story short, so just a few weeks before this passage happens here in Acts, Jesus had died and resurrected from the dead. He was seen alive um, by a bunch of different people in a bunch of different places. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave his final farewell and he ascended into heaven. Um, And then Jesus, the God-man, and then God the Father, they sent the Holy Spirit to the scared disciples who were hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem right there. And, And the Holy Spirit empowered them. And when the disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they miraculously spoke the languages of all these international visitors, this plethora and huge amount of international visitors that were in town in Jerusalem who were there for like a festival called Pentecost. But just as miraculously, one of the disciples named Peter, he went from being scared and hiding in an upper room with all the other disciples to powerfully preaching a sermon to the Jerusalem crowd there, and consequently, 3,000 people converted their allegiance to Jesus that day and just became followers of Jesus. So bang, the Holy Spirit planted the church. 3,000 people, instant megachurch, okay? So, and church planting is sometimes a lot like being in a boat in an ocean and you put up a sail, 
Sometimes you put up a sail and you get a breeze. Sometimes you put up a sail and you get a pretty good gust of wind. Sometimes you put up a sail and you get a hurricane. So this right here in Acts, 20, Acts 2, this is a hurricane. But this isn't a man-made hurricane. It was a hurricane from God the Holy Spirit enabling people to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. And when I say the gospel right there, I mean that Jesus died, he lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we deserve to die, and that through faith in him, we're welcomed into his family. Like, that's the good news of the gospel. And the gospel is the linchpin for this passage right here. And we, don't, we can't miss that. Because these 3,000 people started living differently, radically differently, because they were supernaturally changed by the gospel. That's because you truly, when you truly encounter the real message of the gospel, you can't help but be changed. And when God calls you into his family through the gospel, he also simultaneously calls you into a new community. And that in the Bible, the local expression of that new community right there is called the church. And that's why River City exists, is because we exist to be a local expression of people who are changed by the gospel. So 3,000 people are changed by the gospel, and then scripture immediately jumps into verse 42, where it describes the life of this newly formed church community of people who are changed by the gospel. Verse 42, let's pick it up there. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, 3,000 people are changed by the gospel, and then out of all the things that could have happened next, this is what happened. And I get it, like, this passage is descriptive, it's not prescriptive, it describes what happened, it doesn't necessarily prescribe what should happen, so, like, we shouldn't be breathing into a paper bag that, like, like that River City doesn't look exactly 100% exactly like this, right here. But there are some principles that we need to look at as it relates to the kind of community that God forms when people are changed by the gospel. And again, for the scope of this sermon, I'm just going to be looking at this through the lens of being changed by the gospel and small groups and like why we do some of the things that we do in our small groups. So let's jump in. Verse 42, they were changed by the gospel, so they, were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles were the leaders of the church back then, and they spoke the word of God to the people because what God says in Scripture forms and governs everything in the lives of those who are changed by the gospel. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why in small groups at River City, like we study the Bible together on a regular basis. And that's one of the practical ways that we're devoted to the apostles' teaching like the church in Acts 2. Because when you're changed by the gospel, you want to continue to be changed and formed by the gospel through what God says in the Bible. 
And the vast majority of you who are in small groups, so like you've experienced this with the way that we do that. Like when you have like a little, like a chunk of scripture that like as a group, like you're focusing on and like in a group setting, it really puts everybody in the group on the same level in terms of your discussion. Because that's because like people who have been like following Jesus for decades and some people who have been following Jesus for only a few months and some people who don't even self-identify as Christians, like everybody feels like they're equal participators in the group discussion because you're just talking about like what you observe in the passage and how it relates to our thinking and feeling and relating and the passage is what, dis- what drives, forms, and guides the discussion. Also in verse 42, they were changed by the gospel, so they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. And fellowship is just a fancy word that means pursuing camaraderie and community with other people who have been changed by the gospel. So at River City, the big picture principle is that all of our small groups actively pursue some level of friendship with each other, and we let those friendships naturally develop over time. And we understand that friendships aren't microwaved and we don't expect everyone in, the, in a small group to be uh, wearing matching sweaters and riding tandem bikes and we're like BFFs. And like, but you know, like that level of friendship is not the goal. Okay? But since we're united through the gospel, healthy levels of camaraderie and community are pursued with each other in small groups. Like That's a good thing. That's why almost all the small groups eat a meal together, especially when there's not a global pandemic happening. And like for the purpose, and we do that kind of stuff for the purpose of fostering those kinds of connections with each other. And that's why people often linger after small group nights together. And that's why people communicate with each other and see each other like, like outside of small group nights. They were devoted, they were changed by the gospel, so they were devoted to fellowship. And small groups were devoted to fellowship. So back to verse 42. They were changed by the gospel, so they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So the breaking of bread right there, that's code for communion. Those of you who grew up in like brethren or assembly backgrounds, you're like, oh, that's my language right there, okay? That's code for communion. And it seems like they collectively did that in homes, while here at River City, we choose to do that collectively during our worship gatherings. And it says that they were devoted to prayer, which is why in small groups at River City, we're committed to, in a non-intense, and a non-weird way, just authentically praying together in light of the passage that we're studying and also like what's on our hearts and our minds and our lives. And there have been countless times over the years, like in our small group, where um, sharing and praying like this is an avenue to cultivating like friendships and community with each other. And friendships and community are not the goal of prayer, but sometimes that is a byproduct of prayer. Like, that's one of the good things of that. And it doesn't mean, like, that, like, everybody's required to share their deepest and darkest. Like, of course not. Like, but progressively over time, what it means that the safety of sharing and praying together helps us understand the safety that we have with God through the gospel. Verse 44, they were changed by the gospel, so all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. And out of all the things in this passage, that one, that, that's the one that sounds the most preposterous. Like, they didn't have everything in common. No, they didn't. Because if you look at the people, this is outside the scope of this passage, but if you look at the list of people in Acts chapter 2, where it dis- at the beginning of chapter 2, where it describes like where all these, the crowd was from, they were from 
everywhere in the known world at that time. It's like there were different colors of their skin. There were different languages. There were different cultures. They were all Jewish, but they were from all over the known world. It's like surely there were different age demographics and different life stages. I'd be shocked if they had all the same political opinions about things. All indications are that this was an incredibly diverse church. But what does the Bible say? What it frames it as, they had everything in common. And the Bible can frame it like that because when you've been changed by the gospel and you're continuing to be changed by the gospel, the magnitude of that is enough to say that you have everything in common. Meanwhile, the rest of the world just looks on and wonders why y'all hanging out with each other. That's why we, at River City, we value our small groups having a variety of different kinds of people in them. And of course, like, and of course, like some small groups just naturally gravitate towards and lean towards like having one life stage or one, one age demographic than another. But the big picture principle is that we value groups being diverse expressions of the gospel because through the gospel, we can legitimately say that we have everything in common. Verse 45, they were changed by the gospel, so they sold property and possessions to give to any, everyone, excuse me, anyone who had need. And this is the principle of generosity. Because when you realize on a heart level that your entire salvation is based on undeserved generosity, that naturally cultivates a heart of generosity in us. Like Jesus was spiritually rich because, of the life, because he lived the life that we were supposed to live. And he chose to be generous to us by dying the death that we were supposed to die. And through faith in him, we inherit his spiritual riches. We are generous because he is generous. We aren't generous because, well, that's just a virtuous thing and that seems like good. No, no, no. It's like we are generous because he is generous. And I wish I could tell specific stories about this, but suffice to say that there have quietly been some really timely and tremendous meetings of needs in and among our small groups over the last few years. Like when we're changed by the gospel, that leads to groups of people who are characterized by generosity on a heart level. Verse 46, they were changed by the gospel, so every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they continued to meet in temple court in the temple courts in Jerusalem right there. Presumably that was their corporate worship gathering of sorts, kind of like meeting in a park or whatever. So like like we're doing here. But they also met in homes in smaller groups. And it really seems like there was a culture of hospitality and opening of their homes to others. Hospitality in the world says, more or less, you open your home to others who are similar to you for the purpose of your own personal fulfillment and what you get out of it. This is enjoyable. But hospitality that's shaped by the gospel says that we open our homes to others primarily because God has opened his home to us. Like, we're ultimately hospitable, not because, like, well, that's a virtuous thing. No, no, it's like we're hospitable, but because God is hospitable. 
like bottom line, like I mean, having people over to your house or your apartment, like it isn't always super convenient and life is busy. So you have to be really intentional about it and non-perfectionistic about it, you know, and like, and some people, you know, some people can really get hung up. I don't know about you, but like some people really get hung up on like, man, like how do I be radical and countercultural for the gospel? Okay. Um, you want to be a radical follower of Jesus in Dubuque? Have people, invite people over to your house that aren't in your extended family. That's radical. And, like, and, I'm, not, and I'm not being critical of my own family um, um, where I grew up in, but like, you know, um, and I don't have a perfect memory with this kind of stuff, but like, I, I can't remember a time where there were people who weren't in my extended family or, uh, or people who weren't longtime childhood friends of my fam of my parents were uh, people who weren't those things like were in our home. I mean, maybe there was. I just don't remember that ever. You know, and my parents were really great people, you know. Um, but the kind of hospitality that we see here in Acts chapter two, that just isn't super normal or typical. So when you're a small group, meets together on a regular basis in someone's home and you're not related to them and you didn't grow up with them, that's very radical and countercultural in almost any place, including Dubuque. Like, what I'm describing there is ordinary radicalness. And ordinary radicalness is a hallmark of people who are changed by the gospel. Verse 47. They were changed by the gospel, so they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they had the favor of outsiders, and people were regularly starting to follow Jesus. And this was not, so this wasn't a community, community that was like an ingrown hair, and they were lopsidedly focusing on each other and everything like that and themselves. Like, this wasn't just a community. It was a community that was on mission together. So here at River City, that's what our small groups strive to be, like communities that are authentically on mission together. And they're on mission together to help each, reach each other's friends and neighbors and coworkers with the gospel because God has pursued us. You know, that's why we pursue others, because God has pursued us. Like, Jesus is God as a missionary, which means that we worship a missionary. So that's why we're on mission in our small groups. Like, we're just trying to be like Jesus. Being on mission can be as simple as being open and excited and interested in new people being a part of your small group. Like, being on mission is more than that, but it's not less than that. And being on mission as a small group isn't intended to be super intense, and it looks different for every group, but the overarching principle, which you should be asking your small group leader about this, how can our group be on mission together to reach our friends and neighbors and coworkers together? What does that look like for us? You should ask your small group leader that. All right. So let's land the plane. So, so some, of you, some of you, God is calling you to start regularly attending a small group. And that might be a big step because maybe you're on, more on the introverted side of the spectrum or maybe you're just nervous for any number of reasons and that's okay, but if that's where you're at, it's like I would just encourage you to trust God to meet you where, meet you in that. 
So for some of you, God is calling you to pursue friendships and hospitality in your small group. If that's you, like you may need to turn away from finding your identity within about uh, staying in your own comfort zone and just like and being okay with inconvenience and like and just being pushing and in a gospel-centered and God-focused way and just depending on Him, just like um, just pushing through feelings of discomfort and like being uncomfortable. And for some of you, God is calling you to be on mission with your small group. And again, that should be something that you should ask about your small group leader about. What does that look like for us together? And some of you, God is calling you to be leaders without a title in your small group. God is calling you to be leaders without a title in your small group. And maybe this is obvious and maybe it isn't, but you don't need to have the title of leader to make disciples in your small group. Like, some of you should make the time to ask your small group, like, small group leader, um, what would it look like for me to make disciples in our small group? Like, those, uh, you know, sometimes half the battle in life is just knowing the right questions to ask. Like, that's the right question to ask. And so for some of you, God is calling you to be official leaders of, small, of a small group. And if that's an aspiration you have, like, that's great. Um, now, keep in mind that, like, there are a lot of questions that would need to be answered, such as, like, do you have the character for that? Like, do you have the calling to plant a group? Like, are you fully aligned with, like, what's going on here at River City? And, of course, the best question is, how have you been, how have you been making disciples in your small group right now? How have you been making disciples in your small group right now? If you have a consistent and fruitful pattern of making disciples in your small group right now and you're being changed by the gospel, like, um, then it might be a good fit. And let's also keep in mind that like, if you're not being changed by the gospel, then what small groups are is just a glorified social club. And like, small groups are just really meant to be something more beautiful and redemptive than that. And as we remember what it means to be changed by the gospel, like that's what the essence of what communion points to. Communion is a symbolic way of remembering that it's good to be changed by the gospel. It's good to be changed by his death and his resurrection. So the bread, it symbolizes, or like the wafer or whatever that thing is called right there that we have right now. It's like that symbolizes his body and like, and the drink, it symbolizes his blood. And those things were broken and shed for you. It's a symbolic way of remembering the gospel. Like when we're changed by the gospel, he commissions us into a group of people where we're in community and we're on mission together. And that's one reason why, community, that's one reason why communion isn't just like an individual thing we do on our own. Man, it's a collective thing that we do together. Because we're a community that's collectively being changed by the gospel. Yeah, and I'd encourage you, like, pray before you take communion. Talk to him authentically and don't make it a religious, going through the motion experience. Like, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, like, yeah, I mean, I'd heard, I encourage you to hold off on taking communion because, like, I don't want you to have, like, like um, man, just, like, uh, a going through the motions kind of experience. You know, but if you're, resp- if you're ready to respond to him as your forgiver and as your leader and you want to be changed by the gospel and sur- surrender yourself to him, yeah, then go take communion. So if you didn't grab it on the way in, the communion cups are like in the box up there on the table. 
So you can go and grab that. So the worship team is going to be playing two or three songs up here. And um, you can take communion on your own whenever you're ready with that. So let's pray. So, God, um, we're really thankful that, like, um, you call us into community. But most of all, we're really thankful that, like, you change, you use the gospel to change us and transform us. And, man, we just really, um, yeah, we need your empowerment to um, just establish and advance those small groups, like, more. And to have fruitfulness in our small groups too, God. So, yeah, I pray that, like, the gospel will be just really taking root in us as a community. Um, yeah, and we need you for all that, God. And we love you. Amen.